0: The Credible Nerds present The Fourth Taviren, a Wheel of Time podcast. Where next? The two rivers. There are rumors of four Taviren there.
1: All the right age. The old blood runs deep in those mountains. Let's hope it's prepared them for what's coming.
0: welcome everyone to the credible nerds podcast this is the fourth Taviran, a wheel of time podcast with your hosts and your fellow Taviran, justin and mark we are back from the ways and we've escaped machin chin and we're here to talk about our our survival and how we did it (laughs) so like i said my name is justin and i have my fellow Taviran with me mark
1: hey guys how's it going
0: and we will be reviewing The Wheel of Time TV show, Episode 7, The Dark Along the Ways. And what that episode is all about, what we thought about it, what we liked about it, and obviously what we didn't like about it. So we'll get into it here. Um, as far as this uh, first season goes, there are eight episodes. And this is Episode 7, so the penultimate episode, we'll be talking about that and how that uh, sets up the, the finale episode and how it leads into that, as well as how it starts to, how we think anyway, how it starts to wrap up the season. And, um, you know, initially when this show started or right before it started, we were wondering, you know, how does it cover book one? Does it cover books? There was statements out there from the production team and everybody saying, well, it covers parts of book one, parts of book two, maybe even a little bit of three, and so that was pretty confusing. Like, how are they going to do all that in one season, eight episodes? And so we'll see if that um, affects this episode and how it does it, if at all. So, so we'll get going. We want to thank you guys for joining us here on the fourth of podcast. And uh, with this episode, I, it starts out with one of the best um, openings in the series. In my opinion, um, we get uh, something that we've, heard about, read about, but never actually read on, on screen, if I remember correctly. Um, So that is one thing I brought this up in previous episodes. That is one thing that I do like about this show is it takes these moments that are in the background of the story in the novels, and it brings it to the forefront and actually shows us what happens. Um, And this is one of those scenes that I really liked. Uh, It starts out with um, the Aiel war uh, previous to book one, uh, we actually read about the end of the AEel war in New spring, kind of how that uh, ended for the IEL. They uh, invaded the main land that these characters live in. They came across the spine of the world from the AEel waste. And they were mad about uh, King layman who cut down the tree of life, Avindasora, and it was a very special sacred gift that they had given to the people a while back and he decided to cut it down for some reason. And so they were mad and decided to invade and kill him. And after they had done that, they retreated back to the Aiel waste. And this is where the story picks up or this part of the story picks up where one of the Aiel maiden of the spear, uh, Tigrin Mantir, who has a very interesting past that we will address here but she is pregnant and she's been separated from the rest of the group. And she's fighting, uh, soldiers from the, the coalition. And one thing I did, one of the details, I'm always big on the, the small details and they did it in this episode with, um, there's snow on the ground. Um, there's, she's fighting in the winter. And at the end of the book of, or the beginning of the book of new spring at the end of the war, it's a snowy environment. You know, spring hasn't started yet at the beginning of the story. It's still winter. And so that matched up perfectly with what I had in my mind and everything. So we start off, she's fighting, uh, fighting for her life and her baby's life. So for you, Mark, this intro we get with uh, T-Grain fighting for her life, what did you think about it? Did it deliver?
1: Yes. I I thought it was really cool, right? Um, I was a little, it's hard to say how good an Aiel really is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and here's a pregnant Aiel woman and she kills what, seven, seven soldiers in the midst of battle, um, which is crazy impressive, right? Um, We know they were really good because they invaded and then fought an army twice their size and still completed their objective. Right. So uh, we know they were really good. Were they that good? I don't know. <laughs> huh? It's kind of a, I mean, if you read, if, if you read much into it about the IO war, uh, they really won because they could move really quickly and they had some amazing flanking attacks, but it doesn't really talk about them. You know, they were solid soldiers one-on-one for sure, but solid enough for a pregnant woman to be seven on one. I mean, that means like Rur- Rurik or, you know, like any of those clan chiefs could kill 50 guys. That's <laughs> not a problem, yeah. you know? Yeah. So uh, for me, compared to the book that, I mean, it was a cool scene. Don't get me wrong. Cinematically, it was awesome, you know, and to, to know who she is, is, is pretty neat, but the accuracy, it was just kind of like, ah, like, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's for show. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it worked really well, but I, uh, yeah, I did like it. I did like how we saw Tam right yeah. at the end, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, kind of do his thing um, kind of, I, I don't know if it talked about it. I don't know if you could tell who they were, but Tam was basically second in command of an alien.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
1: And so those were alien soldiers that were fighting. Um, it's crazy to know um i actually had to look it up ilion actually sent the third most soldiers to the war to that war so um kind of makes sense that they would be fighting them so this is i would suppose that this was on the third day because it looked like she was retreating like the war was ending Mm -hmm. um right then so on the third day um Andor would have been in charge, so that's the only thing that confused me. is I would have thought that you'd see Andoran soldiers as opposed to alien soldiers, um, but you know who knows, right? They don't really talk about the tactics, but it, it was pretty yeah. neat. Um, I like uh, you know showing seeing the the mountain there in the background, mm-hmm. seeing the remnants of war. You know, like it was like you know siege weapons firing and you know it was really neat it was cool and like her movements were neat you know Mm -hmm. like i don't know the whole thing was pretty this is a cool scene overall like yeah like you said probably one of my favorite scenes
0: yeah it gets me excited for when we see more of the aiel and kind of when rand and the group goes over there and trains with them and there's the they fight amongst each other you know if we get to see that, that that's going to be pretty sweet if this is an indication of what's to come so well, that yeah. be...
1: oh go ahead i'm sorry
0: no i was just say that that would be really cool <laughs> to see that
1: yeah especially when matt gets involved right mm-hmm. uh, that that would be pretty neat i'm a little nervous after seeing a full scale war uh, or battle at Faldara because that was <laughs> yeah uh, pretty uh, not amazing i mean they focused on the that eye part, right, on that mm-hmm. battle, not yeah. so much the soldiers part. So I can understand that, you know, wanting to tell that story, but soldiers still have to fight, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it would have been cool to see something. So I'm a little nervous to see the IEL fight anybody just because I don't want it to be real. Non-
0: underwhelming.
1: Yeah, underwhelming, you know, for what's supposed to be a pretty major battle in in the first three books.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll get back into that in the next section when we talk about episode eight. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, do we want to get into who T. Green is? Yeah, um, I mean,
1: we might as well. I, I've got to assume, folks, that you've read the book. And if you haven't, I, I'm sorry, you know, like fast forward 30 seconds or a minute or yeah, something. Yeah, a couple minutes. Huh? Um, so if you read the book, we, we know who T. Green, she is the missing daughter heir right? From, um, and from Andor. Her. She ran away. She basically got adopted by the Ayo. And, uh, and that's who she is. Um, so you, we kind of hear more about her later in the books. So I don't know how much they're going to delve into it, but especially when Elaine, you know, goes to the throne succession, you hear more and more about it. And, and she actually has pretty, a pretty deep meaning as far as Galad goes En-rand, and Rand uh, and, it's probably a little much to go in right now, but we'll go into that later, how how that all works. But uh, so grain is originally a, a wetlander is what we're, we're known as. Yeah. the AIL. So, uh, you know, they we I don't know, not as awesome as them, I guess. So we're we're known as wetlanders. And so she she ran away from her duties and ended up with the IEL. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we get into it more uh, in a previous podcast. We did a, a special, I guess, a special episode on. It's called, it's episode 21, the history of Andor and her queens and an epic love triangle where we get into more of her backstory and how that whole situation played out. So, I mean, it's pretty detailed. Like once we started, like I knew the basics, but once we mm-hmm. kind of looked into it for, this ep- for that episode and kind of what we're going to talk about, I was like, wow, this is really detailed and really, pervasive like it spreads across nations and hasn't an, it basically is the foundation for uh, one of the foundations for the rest of the story so i thought it was really cool once we got into it so yeah episode 21 check that out if you want um but uh, so T grain ends up giving birth to a baby um and on the slopes of dragon mount and you want to read more about the implications of that uh, check out new spring it's a short one of the shortest uh Robert Jordan novels you'll ever read. But uh, it, was, it goes into why that's important and who's involved and who the baby is, if you want to know more about that. So, anyways, um, so then after, so like you said, Tam shows up, helps deliver the baby, and then T. Grain dies. And so this soldier, Tam, ends up taking the baby back to when the wars over takes him back to the two rivers and raises him as his own son. So that's the intro. And then we get the credits, the opening credits and all that, uh, the opening stuff. And then we go back to where we left off our group in the last episode with them going through the ways, um, the, the ways closed. Matt was on the outside. They were screaming his name, Matt, come back, come on or whatever. And he just looks at them and that's that. And so they stand there and argue for bits. And Moraine's like, We got to go. Loyal's like, We got to go. You know, he, he tells them a little bit about Machin Shin, who can't use the power within the ways because Machin Shin will uh, find out or be alerted and track him down. And Machin Shin is dangerous. And it's so, a uh, foreshadowing what's going to happen later. So they decide to move on. Um, Moraine and Lan are wondering, Well, what if Matt's the dragon? Here we go back to that uh, misdirect that they tried really hard to in, infuse into the story, but uh, it was, I don't know, not the best format in my opinion. But so uh, they talk about that and Moraine says something that is uh, created for this story, this show, that Matt has an inherent, an inherent darkness in him. He was drawn to the dagger. And if it is him, she doesn't want him around uh, the dark one anyway, because then the mission will fail and everyone will die because the dark one will come into power. Um, And then we see in the very first episode that Matt does have this past. His parents are losers and he tries to do what's right, but yet uh, he has this darkness in him. And we've talked about this in in previous episodes, but how does that strike you that they're openly saying that he's, a, a bad character basically because of darkness in him and at this point he is bad
1: oh very stupid um <laughs> um for the purposes of the show sure you know they took that angle with matt from the very beginning right mm-hmm. yeah um so i mean they almost made him like a vagabond right
0: <laughs> yeah it's kind
1: of a strange strange character uh but in the books he's not that way he's light-hearted he's a you know real family guy you know he loves his family loves his sisters his dad's a well-respected person in the community i'm sure his mom is as well right so they're his character here is much different so you for the points of the show you can see yes he does have this inherent darkness and for the points of the actual story not even close didn't make sense right because he is not that way he doesn't have inherent inherent darkness in him at all uh, I think it was a good way to use it to transition him out of the show and then do something with him and bring him back in as lighthearted. hearted I, I, I don't know maybe the Reds do something with him and fix him I, I, I don't know and they kind of turn his character around a little bit but um, yeah he he was not that way so I have a hard time buying it um, mm-hmm. this is where like throughout the episodes I mean obviously we see this moving away from the, the storyline, you know, to the, to the right or left, whatever you want to say. It's just moving away from the main storyline. And then episodes seven and eight really move like in an opposite direction. You can't even say it's moving away from the main story. It's just moving in, in its own direction. Because Matt actually makes this trip right in the book. He, he mm-hmm. makes this trip, he goes with the group. Uh, so I, I have a hard time with it. Um, I liked how they talked about Match and Shin. Though um, mm-hmm. they don't talk about match and shin too much in the books, you know a little bit here and there. You know you learn probably everything you need to know through like seven books. You don't really learn a lot right away. So they talk about it. Um, it's kind of interesting when they talked about it that you know they talked about it the wind and it whispers to you and stuff like that. It doesn't really go into detail what it does. Um, kind of a history lesson because I like the history of things. So the black wind, they don't actually know what caused it. Mm -hmm. They think it's caused because of the taint. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of hard for me to buy because the waves were made after the breaking, you know, after um, or I guess during the breaking, but after people started going crazy. So the taint already existed and then they existed for 2000 years before anybody noticed anything about a black wind. So everything goes well. So something happened. It was during the war of a hundred years. Something happened during then that caused it. So I have yeah. a hard time thinking, saying it's, it's this, you know, it's the, um, taint, but that's the general idea.
0: Yeah. Yep. So they, they're trying to determine, you know, hopefully the mission can succeed without Matt. basically, um, loyal describes the ways to the group kind of how they work and, if you fall off the edge you'll fall forever and just you know as far as the presentation of the ways what do you think mark um with the, the structures and the the design i guess the shows how they design the ways would you think about it
1: the design was it kind of matched the outline of it right you have these islands and these bridges that kind of exist held by nothing like physics don't yeah. really follow yeah. i think the neatest part my favorite part is where it kind of like Panned back, and then you saw some lightning in the distance and stuff. That was probably my favorite part because then you could see the depth of it, yeah. right? And, and that was pretty cool. Um, the one thing I didn't like is that it, the ways that you know the roads, everything, there's much larger,
0: mm-hmm. right? They yeah. made it
1: look so small, so cram like only one person could go across at a time. These islands are like you have to scrunch to get four people in it, you know. Whereas in the when it explains it they're they're quite bigger you know a little bit more space in there um some room so um that's the one thing and then obviously the doorways right yeah <laughs> we've yeah. talked about the doorways so, were completely um yeah wrong uh,
0: yeah.
1: it's a turing grill and a turing rail does not require the power to access and obviously you need the power here to access it, right? So that's the one one terrible thing. I know we've knocked it before. But I mean I I guess for what they were doing it was it was neat enough, right? You got you got the general concept of it, the the I think you got the depth of it mm-hmm. and then how and then what it would be like. Because they've talked about matching shin the, the lights are dimmed and it's dark and quiet and like almost echoey, you know.
0: Yeah. And
1: and I thought they did a pretty good job showing that. Um yeah. just you know I get caught in the details sometimes
0: yeah yeah i didn't really like the hexagon shapes of everything of the the flagstones and then the pillars and stuff that seemed to i don't know just i did not like it i guess that's a personal preference but like you the rest of it i liked seeing the depth and just you know how dark it was that that came across in the books too that was a big detail is just how dark it was they couldn't see anything but that was uh similar so yeah, and but uh, so they get towards um, they they're moving through the ways. Perrin sees something far off in the distance. And he's at the back of the group, and no one else can see it. So we get a hint of his golden eyes, his uh, eyesight, his gift of his good eyesight. Um, and they they come upon the guiding stone, is what he saw, and it's the one that's all scratched up to misdirect whoever go, who's going through the ways. And so loyal can barely read it. So they pause for a while to kind of figure it out. And um, someone's like, oh, Land's like, something's following us. And then we hear later, a little bit later, Pat and Fane's whistle that he's been doing. They've been using as a um, a kind of a cue, audio cue that he's around with actually showing him. So there was that. Um, Then they're kind of waiting for Loyal to figure it out and rand and eggwing snuggle up together while they're waiting Perrin's looking at him and he kind of turns away which is something that's addressed later and while they're sitting there this trolloc jumps out of nowhere to attack them eggween and, and rand and we see someone uses the power to push the trolloc off the edge and he falls off and because they channeled with the one power match and shane is now coming so their groups hurrying up. Well, we got to get to the next gates, you know, to, to fall Dara. So they hurry, hurry, and then Match and Shin's coming, and they're able to. They get to the gate, but they're not able to get it open in time. And Match and Shin is like just attacking them. And in in this story, he kind of Match and Shin, the wind, the black wind, just kind of tells them about their doubts, their insecurities, whispers those type of things to them. Where in the in the story, it's like just this evil, repetitive, you know, bite the bones, drink the blood, shred the skin type stuff where it's just this creepy kind of Stephen King type language where, you know, it's just makes people go crazy if they can't escape it because it's all about death. But this version is, Oh, you're, you suck. You're, you're, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You know, that type of thing. You won't like tells Moraine, you won't save them. You know, so a little different, little a- different angle there. And while they're trying to get out, uh, Nine uses the power to create this bubble where so Moraine can then open the, the gate and they can escape. And they're able to get out before anything bad happens. And then we see Faldara there in the Borderlands. Um, so pretty, you know, high tense scene. Uh, any, any thoughts on Machin Shin and how it uh, attacked them and that whole escape sequence, Mark?
1: Uh, no, I mean, it was it's tough to say, right? It's just another, like somebody's imagination, what it was, you know, like you said, yeah. um, we don't really get that, that kind of whispering in the book. We get, you know, something more just primal and raw, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that was stuck on one thing, which makes sense really. Right. Uh, whatever it turned into, it was the opposite of what it was. And I know, like, when you talk about the ways when Loyal talks about it, he talks about it being peaceful and gentle and, like, you know, you take naps and it's a calm feeling. So that would make sense that whatever this is would be the opposite of that, right, and just drive people mad. I I think the only issue I had about it was when uh, Nynaeve um, used the power to stop it, right, to hold it at bay. Right, because that's like a major the Machin Shin is the major threat, you know, mm-hmm. it's a major power of its own. And this is an untrained wilder. Um, that just is I don't know. I think I talked about before, just way too powerful for what she should be. You know, where I think she's at to, yeah, where she's at, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, she can do something powerful momentarily, but you know, holding off much like something like Machin Shin for that long is It doesn't connect with me as an avid reader, but as a watcher who's never seen it, yeah, I mean it was pretty neat.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they come upon Faldara, the Borderlanders, uh Shinar, and um Uno's there. There's a group and they they meet him, they meet up with the group and they all salute Lan, call him Daishan. And everybody else kind of looks at him. What's what does that mean? But uh, Lan, he knows what it means and they take him to Lord Algamar, and he's, he's a little, um, com- combative with them. It's like, why are you here? What are you doing here? He's argumentative with Moraine. It's like, we don't need Aes Sedai help. What are you doing here? And so then, uh, the Moraine kind of talks him down and we learn that Algamar's sister can use the one power and that she had gone to the white tower to train with Aes Sedai at some point. Um, but, the uh, she doesn't seem to be an I said, I, or like a fool. Maybe she left as a, an accepted, but I don't think they let them leave necessarily, but I didn't get the impression that she was an I said, I, that she could use the power, but she wasn't part of the group.
1: Yeah. It kind of said like, you weren't powerful enough to become a full sister. So it's like she went through the full training. She did everything. But then when she did the test to become an I said, I, she wasn't strong enough to, to pass the test or whatever, you know, they have to do 101 weaves or whatever it is. Um, so, but, uh, but it did say that she did go through the training kind of like more, more gays or yeah, more yeah. gaze,
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. And I think I, I was reading new spring. Um, and they do talk about how if you don't pass the test and come out, you come out of the thing, but you don't, or you don't you decide not to take the test. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. They ask you to leave, but you can still channel. You can still use the power. So I think maybe that's something like that is what happened with her, is the mm-hmm. what I'm guessing. Uh, anyway. Um
1: she's a fabricated character though, right? She didn't exist in the book.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. And if she did, she wasn't like it wasn't like this. I don't know. Yeah, I
1: don't I don't ever remember them mentioning her i think my only real I, I thought it was cool right you know like them coming up to him and stuff seeing uno seeing his power the one thing i didn't like is that is how lan was like in a subservient position because lan would have grown up with him they would have grown up as equals right he is daishan he is the son of a king right and um agamar is the nephew of the king right they would have grown up as equals as opposed to um land being subservient
0: yeah that's a good point yeah there's like and he never um i guess he he decided to become a warder to escape being king right because he didn't he wasn't ready for that we read about that new spring but uh they still respected him as the king basically <laughs> they know he's he's the man and uh he's gonna do something at some point and they're they're always hoping that he's gonna take up the raise the flag raise the golden golden crane crane. the golden
1: crane flies again yeah (laughs) you you probably don't know what that is but it's probably the most like most most epic part of the book
0: oh yeah they better do that right (laughs) oh man anyway yeah so daishan shows up and they respect him at least uh take him to Algomar and i didn't um yeah anyway but uh so she can use the power and then we see the scene where and fane's walking out of the the way gate and he doesn't need the 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 one power to open it he just walks out and he's fine not bothered by machin shin like he was in the story um so, is there inconsistency there where you need the power? Moraine needs to use the power to open the gate, but Pot and Fane can just walk out just fine.
1: Yeah. Um, Compete, again, complete craziness. They haven't really dived in too much of what's going on with Pad and Fane in this story, which is why it makes it so confusing, I think. Even if mm-hmm. I was just a viewer, I'd be confusing, confused. So as a book, as a book reader, I would look at it and say, okay, either they're saying he can use the power, or somebody with the power opened it for him.
0: Mm, yeah. Which would Maybe be the dark dark
1: one. F- Yeah, the dark one or dark friend, or yeah. you know, one of the Forsaken. The problem with that is that at this point, he was being in the books, he was being punished severely by the dark one but he had already ran into shayda logoth right mm-hmm. and had mashadar in him and mashadar while was evil was also in opposition to the dark one so none of the uh, forsaken or the dark one would have been helping him at this point yeah so the only thing i can think of is either they disregard all of that junk you know and and make Pat and Fane be like right hand command, you know, nabless kind of guy, or <laughs> yeah, you know, or he he can use the power. So no matter how I you bend it or whatever, it's just this, the most silly thing. It's cool that he came, and I think you know they made him look pretty cool and, and stuff like that. But
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's inconsistent. The
1: story, yeah, it's just terrible.
0: And, and Fane is one of the best characters. <laughs> he's one of the most evil characters. You don't really see the Dark One the forsaken are there, but they're always always seem to be in the background for most of the story. But in these initial books, Pat and Fane is like the bad guy that's chasing them. Right. And he shows up at the end and he's he's awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, and he is bad, right? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. this guy, I mean, for, for the first book, he's kind of just a dog on a leash, you know? And then all of a sudden he's like, let loose. And you're like, man, this guy is craziness. (laughs) You know, he is bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, who knows? I don't know what they're going to do with him or what they're trying to say. But obviously, someone with the power had to open the gate.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. According to their their logic that they're using in this with this story. So um, anyways, the we see him later in the story. Uh, well, first of all, back at the city, um, Moraine asks uh, Agomar's sister to send a message to the Red Aja to find matt which was <laughs> like why would she turn to the red Aja in the first place why isn't she contacting the blue especially since she wouldn't need to send a, a message because they have eyes and ears so unless this sister is part of the the blue spy network why is she talking to her in the first place and uh why isn't she asking the blue or even the green to track down matt and why the red and it makes no sense
1: like mm-hmm. i think her logic was if matt is the one and he's not with us oh yeah they'll gentle him yeah back
0: to the misdirect thing then
1: yeah right because at this point they didn't know who the dragon or was for sure at least she didn't right i mean i I know i know who it is right (laughs) yeah but (laughs) but but even my wife
0: (laughs) even my wife who watched like 10 minutes she's like that guy Rand, was on screen that guy looks like anakin skywalker he reminds me of Anakin Skywalker. Like, yeah, he's pretty much the same character. He's the chosen one. (laughs) She picked up (laughs) on in like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, they tried to hide it, but I mean, it was just dumb story really. But um, so that's the only reason I can think that they would, that she would send him there. Um, But what, they're going to find him and be like, Oh, you're just a boy who, yeah, it's kind of freaky and has a bad past. He can't. He can't channel. He can't. Yeah, they can't gentle him. Yeah, we'll gentle you from the power that you can't touch. Yeah, Dang it. you know, what I mean? just. I don't know. Yeah. No, <laughs> why
0: couldn't? Why couldn't the blue uh, shield him? Right.
1: Right. I mean, just the the whole thing. It just some. I don't know where they're trying to go with some of the story. I don't understand. And that's why I'm saying is like i don't know maybe the red take him and torture him when he comes out the map we know i i I don't know but Hmm. doesn't it doesn't make sense i don't
0: know yeah so anyway, the groups in the city they're walking through the city and perrin's like oh i thought i just saw Powder and Fane walk by i was like isn't this guy the the one that can see in the ways through the darkness of the ways this portal storm that's you know this guiding stone that's um no one else can see, but he can't see Pat and Fain walk right by him and recognize him. Yeah. So yeah, but we see him, the audience sees him and I was like, Oh yeah, there's Pat and Fane. The parents like, I thought I saw him. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was him, but uh, they, so Pat and Fane's in the city they go to this inn and where we meet men for the first time. So uh, there's some similarities there in the sense that men works at an inn Moraine takes the group to the inn. She asks Min to look at these, this group and tell her what she sees. Um, and she tells them. But that's like at the beginning of the story, way back when they are escaping the two rivers for the first time, um, not at the end of the story. And I don't know, what would you think about this, Mark, this Min character?
1: Is this a real question? Do you do you want me to get into? This? I want you to say it. <laughs> I'm if, waiting for it. Um, I I loved it. it what <laughs> that was <the> best. Um, <laughs> look, Min in the book is not a 30 year old Chinese chick. You know, like I, I don't know how to say that, right? Like Oriental woman working in it. She's like barely older than um, Brandon Company. Right, who yeah. at this point are like 18 years old, 17 years old, and I get they aged them a little bit, like with, with um, uh, who is a parent and stuff, right? But she's not that much older than them, and she looks really old, and so uh, that was kind of weird th- for me. Um, I liked how it showed her visions, but it same thing, it just doesn't match the book, right? I mean, she, when she looks at the tavern, she she's just this like. Plethora of visions where she has a hard time picking anything out, which yeah, is why so she, could, yeah, which is why she could say they were special, she could see the same thing on Isidai, and and things like that, and then she just looks at all of them, and, and it's just one quick vision. um And what's really weird is that the vision she sees of Rand isn't actually a true vision; it's a yeah. vision of what someone showed
0: him. Yeah, what balsamon shows him later.
1: Yeah. So that was like, I'm like, that's silly because her, you know, I guess in a sense the vision came true, but what, I, I don't know that just, I had a hard time connecting with that. Um, and then the last thing I had a hard time with is when she looked at all four of them and all four of them, you know, have the stars around them and stuff like that. That goes to suggest that those four are all Taverin mm-hmm. and that's just, you know, cause we see that happen with Matt, Rand and Perrin a few times mostly at the end of the books but uh so that was i don't know it's just kind of weird to me like how they jumble it all together it's almost like they're trying to jumble so much story into into one series it's like look you've got like however many seasons you don't need to go crazy on that you can say yeah she sees visions and show a couple things but you know why are you talking about the stars like holding off the darkness and stuff like that's stuff that's pretty far in the book
0: yeah yeah, so she tells Moraine, she looks at the four from Emmonsville, tells him that's Perrin. She sees him with the yellow eyes with blood on his chin. Rand is holding a baby, and we see that. Then she just kind of lumps the two girls together. They're a white flame with gold rings. It's an obvious, allusion to uh, I said I at some point. And then she tells Moraine that she sees that the Amberlynn seats with full regalia and that she'll be Moraine's downfall. That was interesting. I don't think we ever heard that in the story about her, but it's fine. And it doesn't
1: doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to the book either. I mean, not that we even are going to pretend that this is following the book, but.
0: Yeah, so it was interesting. Uh, Like you said, in the story, we get multiple viewings, multiple things that she sees And here. We just see basically one thing per person. Um, But yeah, so then. It's, they all go back to the palace and they ask her, well, why would you take us to see her? And so she says, you know, I was hoping that she would tell tell me who, which one of you is the dragon. That's, that's a fair point. You know, I, if I had that resource, I'd probably use it too. Uh, but she didn't get any answers. And so she says that's when she reveals her plan because they're like, we're not going anywhere until you tell us what's going on. And they, she says, you know, that we're all going to the eye of the world. And one of you is the dragon, and the rest of you will probably die if we all go. (laughs) So they're like, "What? (laughs) Why? What does that mean?" And so then she says, "We're leaving at dawn," and then she leaves. So then they all talk about, you know, are we going to go? Are we going to stay? They argue about it. So they're like, "Well, what about Matt? What if it's Matts?" And then we all die, and he's the one. So it was just—it was just uh, weird. Um, and then this, the, one of the weirdest parts of the whole series pops up right here. They talk about how Matt left him, and they argue about that. Rand's like, well, you didn't even care about Matt in the first place to Egwene. And um, Ren, Perrin steps in. He's like, you know, hey. He tries to flex his some muscle, and <laughs> they argue about over Egwene. You,
1: you apologize to her right now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of, naive says something. And it totally implies that Perrin and Eggwing have were a couple at some point, or they have some sort of love relationship, and it's a big secret, and Rand just found out. Yeah. And he's
1: like, been right in front of the whole time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, where did that so go st- from?
1: Not even right, right. Like from left field makes zero sense. Yeah. Uh, makes
0: zero <laughs> sense with the story, zero sense with the movie is or the show that we're watching, is just here it is. Here's yeah. this h- another misdirect.
1: Yeah, not even close to the book, you know, and like, obviously, Egwene is is privy to what's kind of going on. You know, you can tell like she's like, you know, hand in the cookie jar type thing. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, like that was the whole sequence of events. There was really like th- and this is where we're taking about faces in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? this, I mean, where this is where it just changes like, direction. Like, we took the book, we set it on fire and then, you know, did it (laughs) on it and put the flames out, you know, like, it was just like, I mean, it is so stupid. (laughs) Like what we do. Right. Because I mean, the whole eye of the world, like thing is just so weird from the book. Right. I mean, they weren't even like going to look for, they were trying to find directions to the eye of the world. Right. You know, that's where they were going. And You know, they cut out huge parts of the book. They're very important um, to the story and change large parts. And and this, yeah, and then throwing in this weird love triangle out of nowhere that means nothing, doesn't offer anything, was just beyond silliness.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Rand leaves. He goes outside and shoots his bow. And... (laughs) I'm assuming this, they don't ever talk about it, but I'm assuming this is where he use, starts to use the flame in the void. He was practicing that, which is awesome. Like I knew what was going on there and I thought it was pretty cool, but uh, they never talk about it. Um, so then, uh, yeah, they go back to um, the moraine and land, they go back to their room to leave them to talk about stuff. And Maureen knows that Lan likes Nynaeve, which, yeah, because she feels it through the bond. And then Lan, he's like, I'm going to go visit some, some friends. There's another weird part. He goes and visits, I don't know if they're family or friends or what. They go visit this guy named Zahir. This is his character name in the show. And Nynaeve follows him and being all stalkery, look, looking through the window at him and stuff, and Lan sees her and invites her in. And they all eat together. But um, Zah- Zahir has a Hadorian, So he's Malkir. And then later, I think, Lan talks about how he helped bring him out of the Blights when he- or out of Malkir when the Blight was encroaching and Trollocs were attacking. He saved him. So basically, um, Bukama's... Or what, what's his name? Ba- yeah, Bakuma? Bu- buka- Bukama?
1: Buka- I thought it was Bukama. Okay, Bukama's
0: Bukama- character. Right, but Bukama died before this part in the story as well. But yeah, it is, it's, it's Bukama. Bukama, okay, so um, yeah, that's that's where that goes. But it is a way that uh, Nynaeve can kind of connect with Lan. I mean, like, for the purpose of this show, it's a good way for her to kind of see him who he interacts with and he's not just this stern guy all the time he has a soft side because he plays with one of the kids there and he's nice and everything so they go back to his room and 90 goes in and they start kissing and they you know spend the night together so that's where their relationship is going one thing i noticed in watching this scene we don't see a warder's cloak in this show
1: yeah i noticed that Um, which
0: is like one of the coolest things about a warder right we don't yeah
1: it's kind of sets them apart you know shows that like that they're deadly they're trained uh you know it's kind of like um an aes Sedai wearing her ring
0: yeah
1: um king wearing his crown right it's just something that's done it's expected of them it comes with who they are uh and it aids them right Mm -hmm. it it shields them kind of like uh, what does it do like um it's
0: camouflage
1: now yeah camouflages them in the, in the background no matter what background they're in and and things like that so it's super helpful and, and to just get rid of that i mean just one of those things right like why are we writing this out like
0: yeah another detail
1: writing in some weird love story with Perrin, you know
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so that's going on with Nynaeve in land uh, while matt's out or rather while rand's outside practicing edwin comes out and she says why haven't you come apologize to me so they they work things out and then they end up going back to i think rand's room i maybe and they start kissing and spend the night together and she tells rand that if he's the dragon reborn she'll stand by him no matter what and he tells her if it's her uh, or if you go back to the white tower i'll come with you and be your warder, which is something they Talked about in the books just earlier, but I thought that was a nice nod to kind of that part of the story. I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then they end up spending the night together, and then they go cut back to Nine even Land, and she asks him why they called him Daishan, and she tells her he tells her the the backstory of how he's the king of Malkir, how he escaped with Zahir in this story, Bukama, in the real story. Um, And yeah, so they talk about how Moraine's in charge of land. She doesn't like that, but yeah, anyways. Then it cuts to back to Rand and Egwene in bed and Rand's sitting there awake, thinking about the past, what has happened. And this is when he realized that he's the dragon. Um, He remembers when Tam was injured at the beginning of the story when the trollocs attacked their house and he brought him into back to emmons to get uh taken care of and tam's having those fever dreams talking about when he found rand in the snow and um then he remembers when he crashed the door when they were getting threatened by um the one dark friend lady and he was trapped in that room so he broke down the door Then we see for the first time that uh, in the ways when the Trolloc jumped him, that he's the one that used the power to push the Trolloc off the edge. And while he was there, he heard Machin Shin telling him that he's the Dragon Reborn and he knows it. So uh, I wasn't a big fan of that, that Machin Shin is the one that told him he's the Dragon Reborn. You know, it's like, um, okay. But so yeah, he realizes he's the Dragon. And he goes to Min to kind of find out, to verify that. And Min and Rand have their first scene together. Um, and Min talks about how she, her f- first vision that she saw was in Tarvalon when she was living there on the streets. It's what it sounds like. And she saw Tam there uh, in Tar-Valon, Tarvalon. And she looked at him. She saw snow and blood and a baby born on the slopes of Dragon Mounts. And she saw Tam raising Rand in the two rivers. So um, then it cuts to a visual in in the show where we see Tam actually deliver the baby when Rand dies. So that kind of confirms that. And so Rand asks her what she saw now when she looks at him. And Min says, I see rainbows, carnivals, and three beautiful women. And that she also sees the eye of the world and Rand asks if he makes it back, and she doesn't say anything. So he's like, "Oh, I guess I don't." <laughs> what are your thoughts on rainbows, carnivals, and three beautiful women?
1: Uh, the, uh, the three beautiful women are, are pretty simple, right? Yeah, I mean, just three right wives. Um, so that one's simple. Um, the carnivals and the and the rainbows. I don't really. I'm trying to remember where that comes from
0: yeah rainbows um, i'm thinking maybe the seven colors of the I said i seven watches maybe i don't know that's the only thing i can think of
1: yeah and the carnivals and stuff i mean i'm just trying to think like when he went to alien or tear or anything like that if something was going on you know mm-hmm. um or foam you know i i don't know um it is kind of weird to me that in the story they either age her way too men they either age her way too much or they messed up her power right because she can only view the future so if she saw tam in tarvalan and she's old enough to know you know that he uh that he is um the you know she can see the you know viewings and stuff like that. If she's old enough to understand what she's seeing and remembering it, she's probably got to be what seven or eight.
0: I don't know. I think she's only like ten years younger than Tam, if that.
1: So in the in the movie, right? Yeah,
0: not in the book, in the, in the book no. Yeah, she's so that's age. what
1: I'm saying is, so they either age her like she really is truly like twenty years older than than yeah. um, Rand, or. They got her power wrong, right? So that part was kind of kind of weird to me. Um, now I'm really thinking though, what are the rainbows in the
0: carnival? The- yeah.
1: Carnival, yeah.
0: Yeah, good.
1: Huh, maybe the rainbow has to do with the Iel when it rains out there in Rudian.
0: Maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't really rain in the waste
1: yet. anyways uh um, (laughs) spoiler um but yeah well i don't know it was pretty neat to hear to hear talk about it you know and things like that but i i just like the books too much
0: yeah anyway so yeah so that's what happens so he decides he's gonna go you know, go off on his own. So the others don't have to come with, I mean, which makes sense. You know, if you found out you were the one, why would you bring your friends who are possibly going to die? So he goes to Moraine directly. He's like, I'm the one. And they head out into the blight. And then the others are left wondering what happened. And then land comes in. is like, Moraine's gone. She masked the bond. And then they're like, Oh, Rand must've gone with her. And then we see Moraine and Rand walking through, Tarwin's gap to the blights, and we see this representation of the blights, which is weird. Um, did <laughs> we see any masking of the bond in the story? Was the only time
1: I remember is when um with Elaine
0: and uh, Brigitte. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right, they, they did that a little bit there. Um, and then there were some instances where it talked about a couple of the Aes Sedai being dark friends, but their warders were not.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. And so the only way that they could get away with that is by masking that, which is even deeper, right? You can mask specific parts of it mm-hmm. as opposed to... Um, Everybody. All of it. You know? yeah. So it's kind of interesting to learn that. So I mean, there was a couple inferences and a little bit of reference, but I don't think we really see anything quite like this. You know, where it's like I want to sneak around. I'm going to mask my whole bond and adios you. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh easily, my I had two really disappointing parts. I think that take the cake. One mm-hmm. is the way that the blight looked. I mean, yeah. That was, that was terrible. It was terrible. I, I don't know. I don't know if I have talked. To a single person who's a fan of the book that liked the representation of the blight, uh, just not even close to the book. Can't even, just so weird, right? It's supposed to be desolate and desert; nothing grows, everything's dead, and then you got these weird vines, you know, growing everywhere. I'm waiting for Prince Philip to come in and, you know, fight the dragon. Yeah. Uh, just so silly. Um, that was disappointing. And then the second one was when they're in the room and uh, Lan and Moiraine are talking. And she's like, when I found you, you know, you were doing nothing. You mm-hmm. had no guidance in your life. Pretty much like you were this loser, <laughs> Cause like, <it> almost <laughs> felt like she was saying you were a loser who had nothing to do, <laughs> yeah. which is weird because that's entirely not true, right? Um, him being Daishan, um, he, he's a Diadem battle lord. And when he left, like this is how he grew up. He grew up knowing who he was and where he came from. Mm-hmm. And when he was anointed king as a baby, he had to. Um, he was given a blade, the you know a sword, and then he was get. Uh, and then he is, his life was sworn as follows: to stand against the shadow, so long as iron is hard and stone abides; to defend Malkyrie while while one drop of blood remains; and to avenge what cannot be defended. So those are like the solemn promises he's bound to as a baby and he's grown up. Akuma grows, you know, teaches him this way of life. He's taught that in Shinar, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's another group that are, have a lot of the same values as Macchi did. And and so then when she's like, you were doing nothing, you had no point in your life. I'm like, that is the silliest thing in the world, especially for Lan's character of mm-hmm. everyone. You can say that to Lan probably had the most drive of everyone. Basically, he, he was waiting till he was ready to go out and die in the blight by himself. Right. But he had direction in his life. He knew what he needs to do. And Maureen just convinced him you would be better off serving, you know, completing this goal by coming with me. Yeah, because I am looking for the Dragon Reborn.
0: Yeah, and he was literally on the verge of accepting the kingship, finally, and gathering an army and go fighting the Dark One, right? Mm-hmm. Until Moraine showed up. So he had purpose. He was he was doing stuff, and he had yeah. just gotten done fighting in the Isle War as a leader, um, like three months before, four months prior to that. So yeah, that was that line fell flat. In my yeah, mind. Yeah, that yeah, that those probably were the
1: two most disappointing parts in this entire episode for me. And they were pretty dang disappointing. Probably the highlight for me was the beginning. Uh, you know, the beginning.
0: Yeah, started out strong.
1: Yeah, real strong. That that was pretty amazing and uh I think pretty spot on to what I you know I could come up with yeah. when I envision it.
0: Yeah, I agree. One thing I caught was, you know, on the cover of lord of chaos with um the old cover where there's that wagon with the dice the i flag hanging off it and rand's buff rand is in the front oh he, yeah
1: and he's like got his fist clenched right yeah
0: yeah so you see that you do see something really similar to that wagon in the background of that opening scene when there's when uh Tigran's sitting there Fighting the the other guys, kind of see it in the background, or something that has that same setup, you know, with the broken wagon and a flag hanging off it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the cover of Lord of Chaos. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that. So they can do details like that, but they, you know, they got to put bats in the store instead of rats. I don't know; uh, it doesn't make sense.
1: <laughs> this is so silly. I don't understand. I, I un. <laughs> Look, I get that fitting this huge, humongous book with so much history. I mean, you've got books to talk about the history of the book, right? right. I, mean, I, I get it. It, it. It's a mountain. And you have eight episodes to, to get it going. But I don't understand Rafe Judkins' thought process to change and cut so much and change and add so much at the same time. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me, like why and where he's going with it.
0: Like you said, you got books on books to talk about the books, right? Like, I was this is like bigger than most of this, the novels that we get from this story. So much detail that it's right here. Open them up, read them. Yeah. I, they're
1: good. They're fun reads, too. Like, really, they, they have a lot of good information. Um, so the Wheel of Time, the white book, I've got it too. Oh, you can't see it because mine's all blurred out. Just, just holding it up. Um, this space, This covers books one through seven at the time. I, I'm pretty is what it is. Yeah. Um, so there's some history about what's going on. And it goes up through book seven. But the history of it, it's pretty neat, right? Like this talks about the forsaken and who they were and where they came from. It talks about the age of legends that they keep referencing and that nobody knows anything about. And they, it's really cool. You know, it's kind of an add on it. It brings a lot to the book. Oh yeah! You know, it doesn't take away at all. It's really neat, and the companion is basically an encyclopedia of all the books written by somebody in the fourth age, right?
0: Yeah, all the characters, events, lands, cities, all that stuff.
1: Which is weird because I wonder if they did this on purpose. But some of the information in the companion is contradictory to the information in the books, and in the white book, they they kind of clash a little bit. Yeah. Um, so kind of interesting I, I asked why one time and i was told by a bunch of other fans that basically the that the white book was written by a writer in the will of time from the second age uh or from in the third at first to the third age yeah and the companions were, was written hundreds of years later by someone from the fourth age
0: mm. that makes sense
1: so i was like oh that's kind of interesting that's a cool take on it you know whether they mm. meant you know like that was a way to hide their mistakes or if they really meant to do that still kind
0: of neat yeah well the white book does come across as written by someone living during the the events that are going on because they don't know all the details but they know stuff that's going on mm-hmm. like there's some things that the readers we, as readers we know happened but in like in character this guy doesn't know so yeah, yeah that's a cool thing something
1: weird like that somewhere but i can't remember
0: i always i just picture in my mind that it's the one guy who ran the university that uh, rand picked when he started that university that old guy
1: oh yeah that men really liked and then yeah he
0: i always pictured love. it was that guy who was writing it
1: what was that guy's
0: name oh let me look in the the wheel of time companion Except I have to know what how to spell his name. Probably just Google it. Huh?
1: Yeah, let's look it up. Yeah, I'm I'm looking too.
0: Yeah, they got tons of entries. I mean, this book's like eight hundred pages, eight hundred plus pages. Okay,
1: so- yeah, it's so big um does it say i'm looking i i can't find it i know who you're talking about and then you got he like they found him dead right out of nowhere yeah. which is weird i always thought they'd circle back about why right why like what was he finding that was so important that they need to kill him because it was targeted right
0: yeah yeah i think it was the the golem like that, that got him
1: but it's kind of like, why? Again, mm-hmm. why? Like right. Why did it
0: have to come What was me? he going to discover? What was he researching that they had to hide? Mm-hmm. That the Forsaken had to hide. So, yeah, I'll anyway. Have
1: look at it. I'll have to find it. I don't remember what his name is. He was a kind of a cool guy.
0: Yeah, an old old guy. But
1: yeah. yeah he... All right, go ahead, sorry.
0: Uh, I was just say, yeah, he was... It's a it's a good resource, but you do have to know the name of the person you're looking for if you want to do the research. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's that's episode seven. Uh, we liked some things. Some things drive drive us crazy. Some things are just okay. I did like the the city of Valdara. I thought that was really cool. Tarwin's Gap was cool. Um, pretty accurate to the story for the most part, and. Lord Algomar, outside of his his uh attitude there at the beginning, I liked him after that. He calmed down. <laughs> it was a little. But I can respect his perspective. You know, hey, we we got things up here. We can handle the blight. We haven't had I said I help for a long for hundreds of years. We got this. So I can I can see where he's coming from. But yeah, a lot of good things in this episode. Um So this is episode seven. We'll do episode eight here to wrap things up, wrap up this review series of season one of the wheel of time on Amazon prime. Um, definitely check out our previous episodes one through six. And then when season two rolls around, we'll get back on it. But after this episode eight review, we'll dive back into the books and talk more about them and kind of break those down and maybe at this point we'll be able to compare him to the show. One thing I do like about the show is it kind of uh, will set uh, an image that we can refer back to, or a character like Rand. I, I, I like this, this iteration of Rand, how far I like this actor. I think he does a good job with what he's given and probably use him as my reference point when I'm reading the story from now on, like okay. his image, this guy. So, you know, things like that are great. And maybe we'll, we'll, compare do those comparisons while we read the book and review the book. So stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks for listening to the Fourth Taviran podcast. Uh, check out our YouTube channel. We'll be doing video podcasts of, of the Wheel of Time under the Fourth Taviran banner on the Credible Nerds. Check out our website, crediblenerds.com. nerds.com, even Fourth you can do that and you'll be redirected to the Wheel of Time content. Uh, but support us on YouTube, like our videos, subscribe, subscribe to the channel uh we need your support that way so check it out and uh we want to thanks for we want to thank you for joining us here and may you guys find water and shade you guys